And if this is your first time here, a, a really uh, warm welcome to you. My name is Paul Riggs, and I have the privilege of, of serving as the lead pastor here. And uh, if you're a student, young worker, I am. Please do stick around for that lunch. You really would be most welcome. Even if you're here on your own, you'll get to know lots of other people. It's a great way to uh, start making your friends. Uh, if you stick around, if you shoot off straight off the church, you're not going to get to know people. So that's why we have tea and coffee, so you can have something in your hand to feel secure, to stay around a little bit longer, in the hope that you will actually uh, meet some folk and be encouraged. Well, um, this is the last Sunday we're looking at the tabernacle, and I can't believe there's still copies of this left. But there are a few copies left, six pound a pop if you want a, uh, a great Christmas stocking filler, you can roll it up put it in a stocking. Uh, and uh, not too soon to think about Christmas, but that will give you a great uh, reminder of this series that we've worked through the tabernacle. Now we've just sung a great hymn, which is an invitation, a prayer that God would speak to us. Do you realize we just sung that? See, we haven't just come here to go through some habit. We're not here because you know, we want to just hang out and meet other people. I hope we've come here because we want to meet with God. And God has promised to meet with us as we come to Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, by His Holy Spirit. And if you want Him to speak to you right now, why don't you just join me in a short How amazing that the Lord Jesus who broke that bread by Galilee, <coughs> who went to the cross, he is the living bread, raised from the dead at your right hand, yet by your spirit, here with us. And so, Father, please feed us. Please teach us. Please free us from all that binds us. <coughs> Open blind eyes. Give us ears to hear. By your Holy Spirit, touch each person as we wait upon you now. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, our dining table's on the way out. That was a uh, a question that was raised about five years ago, they did a survey of Brits where they discovered that the one piece of furniture that is most like most least used was least used, not most least used, yeah, was least used was the dining table. So nearly a fifth of respondents said that they only used a, a table to eat their meal on maybe uh, once or twice a week. 30% said they only used the dining table once or twice a year. Now, I don't know what you think about that. Uh, you know, people opting instead to sit on a sofa uh, in front of the TV to eat their meal. Um, I just think that's a bit sad, personally. Um, a kitchen table, a dining table, is actually a piece of furniture for friendship. It's for connection with family. It's, a, it's, it's, it's about conversation, it's about communion, it's about fellowship. You know, we'll need to eat. God in his kindness has given us 
uh, wonderful taste buds in our mouths so that we can enjoy the amazing variety of foods he's made out there. We love the smell of food cooking. We love the different tastes. And the only thing that makes it even better is to sit down and eat with people we love. I mean, that is a real joy, isn't it? To sit around a table, face each other, to share a meal is to experience acceptance, love, warmth. It's a time for fellowship. It's a time for laughter, for comfort, maybe for uh, some wise words we can learn from each other. What a wonderful blessing is a well-used table. And uh, families here, uh, I would just urge you to make a little rule that at least once a day, TV is off, mobile phones are away, you're all going to sit around the table and you're going to eat together. I think that's one of the great joys you'll look back on of investment uh, together in that way. And as we finish looking at the tabernacle today, uh, we will see that God thought a table was an essential piece of furniture in his tent, in his dwelling place. The place where he promised he would dwell amongst his people as they wandered from uh, being slaves in Egypt where he rescued them and brought them through the wilderness towards the promised land. And I want to show you, I hope to show you this morning, what a wonderful invitation it is to us to see that there was a table in the tabernacle. When we understand the symbolic significance of the tabernacle, it really should fill us with the same sort of longing and praise of the psalmist who wrote this, how lovely is your tabernacle, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. King David expressed the same hope and longing in his most famous psalm. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's he thinking about? He's thinking about the, you know, the ultimate reality that the tabernacle is wanting to, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the piece of furniture that I would suggest to you that um, speaks of the great privilege of this covenant relationship with God is the table. So please open your Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, uh, put your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible to you. Just stick your hand up, someone will bring you a Bible if you don't have one. Open your eyes to Exodus chapter 25, uh, page 83 in the Church Bibles. Exodus chapter 25, and we begin to read at verse 23. Page 83, anyone else has got a Bible, like the Bible, keep your hand up, don't be shy. Consider this impressive table. I doubt anyone in this room has got a table that compares to this. You can't get it on here. <laughs> Not last time I checked, anyway. So, chapter 25, verse 23. Make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits long. Remember, cubits that space for the uh, elbow and the fingers. Two cubits long and a cubit wide and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold and make a gold molding around it. Also make around it a rim of handbreadth wide and put a gold molding on the rim. 
Make four gold rings for the table and fasten to the four corners where the four legs are. The rings are to be close to the rim to hold the poles used in carrying the table. Making the poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold and carry the table with them. And make its plates and dishes of pure gold, as well as its pitchers and bowls for the pouring of the offerings. So this is a pretty beautiful table, isn't it? Acacia wood, very nice wood. Termites find it hard to eat it, it's very hard, dense wood. It's a costly table. It's overlaid with 24 carat pure gold. Now, what's the main function of the table? Look at verse 13. Put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. The point of this beautiful table was to present bread literally before God's face. This bread of the presence was to be set on this table before God at all times. That is so precious. Hopefully you're going to see it by the end of the sermon at all times. So to learn more about this bread, keep your finger in Exodus, and let's turn to Leviticus chapter 24. So keep moving forward in your Bibles till you come to um, the next book, Levit Leviticus chapter 24. That's page 127. Page 127 in the church Bibles. Exodus chapter 24. And notice with me there's actually a link between the lampstand, which we looked at last Sunday, and the bread on this golden table. They're, they're placed on opposite sides of the, of the holy place, this first place that the priest would enter into in the tabernacle tent. So, and, and it seems very much that the purpose of the lamp was to shine its light directly upon the bread on the table. So look at Leviticus uh, chapter 24 and verse 1. The Lord said to Moses... Command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light, so that the lamps may be kept burning continually. Outside the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant Law in the Tent of Meeting, Aaron is to tend the lamps before the Lord from evening till morning continually. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. The lamps on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord must be tended continually. Do you get the point? Take the finest flour and bake 12 loaves of bread using one-fifth of an ephah for each loaf. These have been substantial loaves. Arrange them in two piles, six in each pile. So I'm guessing they're kind of flattish. On the table of pure gold before the Lord. By each pile, put some pure incense as a memorial portion to represent the bread and to be a food offering presented to the Lord. The bread is to be set out before the Lord regularly, Sabbath after Sabbath, on behalf of the Israelites as a lasting covenant. It belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in the sanctuary area because it is most holy the most holy part of their perpetual share of the food offerings presented to the Lord. So let's just think about what this um, bread conveyed to the priests and the people of Israel when this tabernacle was built and running. Fresh bread would be baked um, just before 
the Sabbath, and uh, then the priests on the Sabbath day would replace the consecrated bread already on the table with fresh loaves, arranging them in two piles, six in each, and by each pile he would place some pure incense. And the priest who's kind of representing uh, the 12 tribes of Israel, everything about his outfit is saying that he is there as a representative for the whole of Israel. Uh, He's acting as their mediator in the ministry of the tabernacle. He was then allowed to take that bread uh, and eat it with his family, with other priests, in the sanctuary space of the courtyard. And in this way, fresh consecrated bread was always in the presence of the Lord before his face. Now, what does this all mean? It's clearly symbolic, okay? This is not about feeding God. This is not some weird Santa Claus ritual, you know, that thing where you leave a mince pie out for Santa on on Christmas Eve and the kids come down in the morning, oh, the the mince pie's gone, oh, and look at all these presents. No, it's not like that. This is nothing remotely uh, like the pagan religions that think you've got to bring food to their, to their gods by putting little food in the shrines as if God needed to be fed by us. Quite the opposite. We're the ones who are completely dependent on God. Um, Psalm 50 uh, puts it this way. I, God says this in Psalm 50, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, and he's not, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? No, none of this sort of bringing animal sacrifices or even the bread is is about feeding God. As the Apostle Paul said to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17, as he saw their their city just full of, of, of idols and temples to the idols, their gods, he says this in Acts 17, 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not does not live in temples built by human hands and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything rather he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else God does not need bread to sustain him he's eternal he's self-sufficient he's self-existing he's the one who's constantly sustaining your life and our lives. So this is not about feeding God, is it? What does it mean? Well, let me suggest two things this morning. Firstly, this is about God's provision for all God's people. God's provision for all God's people. The bread of the presence is pointing to that. See, unlike God, we do need food. We need our daily bread. As uh, Psalm 104.15 puts it, bread that sustains our hearts. Bread was an absolute basic daily food for them. And before uh, the presence of the Lord was a reminder that his special covenant people needed him to provide for them. And as God insisted that they put the bread on this table, it spoke really of God's commitment 
to provide for them. So listen to the words of Psalm 115, verse 5. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. Twelve loaves equaling the twelve tribes of Israel. It's pretty clear, isn't it? On a number of occasions, the, the tribes of Israel were grouped in two groups of six. And you can go away over lunch and think about where that was, but it, there's a few occasions where that's exactly what happens. Constantly, before the presence of the Lord, was the reminder of the needs of all his people. And as the whole symbolic placing of fresh bread on the table of the presence is the, is the idea and the instruction of God. It is a statement of God's commitment to provide for all his covenant people. God saw their needs and he was committed to providing for their needs. Every step of the way through the wilderness, God provided for them manna, we learned earlier in Exodus, daily bread, Sabbath by Sabbath, Fresh loaves were placed as a perpetual statement of thanksgiving to the God who provides for all their needs. You know what? Physically, God still provides for his people today. He knows what we need. Now, what we want is sometimes more than what we need, but he's very committed to providing what we need. Uh, Jesus taught his disciples, remember in, the, in, 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 the, in that prayer, Give us today our daily bread. He calls on his disciples to daily look to the provision of the Father for their lives. Um, everyone in this room has had enough food to sustain them right up to today. How kind God is that he's provided for us. You know, there have been seasons in the life of my family where we had very little. When I was a, uh, a student studying at Moore College in Sydney... Uh, we had very little money, and sometimes we didn't know how we were going to get by. But God was faithful. He provided for us. Um, sometimes we received gifts of food. Uh, sometimes we received anonymously gifts of money so we could buy food. God has been so faithful to provide us all that we need. And you know what? Sometimes God allows us to get into tight spots to remind us that what we really need is Him. Um, I know that's the testimony of many people in this room. Um, there, is a, there is a deeper hunger that even having great wealth will not satisfy. Because our deepest need is not physical bread. It is God Himself. Moses taught the Israelites exactly this. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, he reminded them of their experience in the wilderness. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you what? To teach you what? That man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The deepest hunger of our lives will not be met by bread. Even nice focaccia bread. It's not going to be met by booze or by drugs or by material stuff. 
it is only going to be met by a genuine fellowship with God. One where we hear his word and believe it. Every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. When we believe it, we enter into genuine fellowship and relationship with this God who can satisfy our souls. So turn with me to John chapter 6, page 1070 in the church Bibles, page 1070, 1070, John chapter 6. The day before, Jesus has miraculously fed 5,000 people, over 5,000 people, 5,000 men at least, Others will be present with five small loaves and two small fish. And the crowds that got fed, well, they're hunting for him the next day. They, um, they seem to miss the, the whole point that this was a sign pointing to his true identity, that here was the Redeemer God come to rescue his people. And actually, they were looking for him just to find another meal. So Jesus teaches them that they're focusing on the wrong sort of hunger. What they need is not another meal but him, the one who gives life. Jesus gives life, eternal life. So look at uh, John chapter 6 and verse 32. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven, and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Do you want life? Listen to Jesus. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Look across to verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I'll give for the life of the world. Now that's strange, isn't it? That sounds very strange. How how is he given his flesh? Well, just think about another place in the New Testament that speaks of tables and bread. If you were here on Wednesday night at the excellent prayer time that we had, it was such a good time, Callum opened up by reminding us of the words of Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. And it says this in verse 14. This is the night before Jesus was crucified. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he took bread He gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. See Jesus is teaching us what is the significance of his death upon the cross. He was taking God's punishment for our sins in his own body that all who believe in him receive forgiveness and eternal life. He's offering his flesh. 
to give us life. He is the living bread. He is the living bread come down from heaven. He's the one who can completely satisfy our souls. And if you have never put your trust in him, do it today. Don't waste your time looking for life anywhere else. It'll be a fruitless search. It is in Jesus. Come to him and live. Eat of his flesh. Drink of his blood. By believing his promises, you will have true fellowship with God. And my Christian friends, have you gone to bed this week feeling dissatisfied? Have you gone to bed feeling restless and empty? Could it be that the reason for this is that we spent most of the day feeding upon news, social media, videos, entertainment that distracts us but never satisfies our souls? I love it. When Jesus fed the 5,000, he says they all ate and were satisfied. Of course, when King Jesus is at presiding at the table, everyone is satisfied. doesn't matter how many people are at the table. 5,000 people, no problem to him. They all ate and were satisfied. When we look to nourish our souls through taking time to draw near to Jesus, the living bread, we will find rest and fullness for our souls. You've experienced that, my Christian friends, have you not? For the bread of the presence testifies to us that our God will provide for the needs of all his people who look to him. But the second symbolic point uh, comes back to the, the actual golden table itself. The table speaks of table fellowship with God. Now just think about that pure incense that was uh, piled up next to the bread. It was, in a sense, um, identified with the bread, wasn't it? That's what um, it says in Leviticus. And um, what the priest would have done, would he would have taken that incense that represented the bread, and he would take it out to the bronze altar and offer it as a food offering to God. Now, the the bread didn't get thrown on the, on the bronze altar. The priests got to take the bread that had been there all week before the presence of the Lord and in that same courtyard space while the, the uh, incense was being burned upon the altar, they got to eat the bread. Do you get the symbolic significance of this? They're breaking bread with God. This table is a table where you get to sit down and eat with God. You get to fellowship with God. It's, it was a while back now, I know, but uh, when the covenant was actually instituted, Moses and the elders ascended up to Mount Sinai, and it says that they had a meal with God. They saw God, they, they ate and they drank in the presence of God. And in a sense, the tabernacle tent is a way of taking Sinai with them as they traveled. And every Sabbath, in a sort of um, symbolic way, the whole of Israel, through the priests, were having table fellowship, eating a meal with God. As the incense was burnt, as they ate, 
they were having uh, fellowship with God. This is God's invitation. Fellowship with him in the light of the lampstand. I love this. I don't know if you've ever tried to drop in on somebody uh, last minute and you drive by and you kind of go, well, is the light on? Do I ring the doorbell? Some people you can drop in on, other people not so much. You need a little appointment, right? But you might go, is the light on? Well, in the tabernacle, the light is on. Perpetually. And there's always bread on the table. Isn't that beautiful? The people of God, through the atoning blood of the sacrifice, are welcome into the tabernacle of God to fellowship with him. And here's the point for us. Because Jesus is the living bread, we can have table fellowship with God. It's quite simple, but it's so profound. There is a table with bread available for all God's people to have the privilege of fellowship with God. Now, if you're not here as a Christian, you don't have a right to that fellowship, but you can come and trust Christ today, and you can get right with him today, and if you've got no clarity about how to do that, come and speak to me, come speak to someone at the Connect Corner, we'd love to help you there today. But as the people of God, our great privilege is that we have access and fellowship with God. We, we heard from First John a little bit earlier. The very same John who actually sat in the upper room at, right next to Jesus, um, who received from his hands the bread and the wine. The very John whose feet had been washed by Jesus along with the other disciples. Well, from the resurrection of Jesus from the dead onwards, there was no doubt for John that the person he knew personally, who he'd looked at, who he'd heard, who he'd touched, he was the one who had been with God before the creation of the universe. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. The apostles had heard him. They'd seen him. They'd looked on him. And they wrote their testimony down because they wanted other people to join them in their fellowship with God so that they could believe the same truth about him and have genuine fellowship with them, the apostles, and genuine fellowship with the living God. Here is why we gather today, my friends, because the living God has called us to himself. And he invites us into fellowship with him. We can actually go through our life enjoying a genuine, round the family table, fellowship with God. In imagery, I think, taken from the tabernacle tent, with the lampstand shedding its light on the table of presence, it encourages us to walk in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. My friends, even if the priest was to trip in the tabernacle and fall on his face, he's still tripping up in the presence of the light. There's forgiveness for his sins. There's access to the table fellowship. There's a warm welcome for all repentant people to have fellowship with God. The light is on. There's always food on the table. What's holding us back? 
What's holding us back? Are we making the most of the opportunity that we have? It's so easy to rush through life, isn't it? And forget this. I, I love the story at the end of Luke's gospel. Two people, husband and wife probably, walking home to Emmaus. It's resurrection day. And a stranger starts walking with them. And he says, what are you talking about? And they, and they look sad and perplexed. It's resurrection day, but they're sad because they've, they've just not quite understood. Jesus, who they hoped would, would redeem Israel, he'd been crucified by their leaders. And, um, and then they had these strange reports that morning that, that the women had gone to the tomb and, the, and, the, and the, the, there was no body there. And, and there were angels who said he'd risen and, 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 and other people had gone to check out and the body wasn't there. And, and, and there they were on resurrection day and it, they were sad. And Jesus was right next to them and they, and they didn't recognize him. And Jesus says to them, how foolish you are. And slow of heart to believe. All the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what we said and all the scriptures concerning himself. If we want to know Jesus, just dig into his word. He's there. The reality is what this text points to. And as they approached the village, he looked like he was heading on. They said, no, it's too late. Come on in for a meal. And they say, stay with us. And as he was at the table, interesting, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they turned to each other, and they said, well, yeah, did not our hearts burn when he spoke to us on the road? They'd been walking along the road, and they'd not recognized that Jesus was with them, the living Lord. They'd been around the, the table. They'd not recognized that the living Lord was at their table until he broke bread. We can be, as disciples, sad and distracted, unaware that the Lord is walking with us. The bread of the presence on the golden table was to be present all the time. There's an invitation, my friends, to fellowship with the Lord at our mealtimes, in our homes, at our work, on the bus. Draw near to Him as a church. There's an invitation. See, we can't just come up and turn up out of habit, can't we? And think, oh, it's all about judging. Oh, the sermon was a bit dull this Sunday. I can't wait for him to finish with the tabernacle. Uh, and miss the point, it's about meeting with the Lord. Do we want more of Jesus in our lives and in our church? Do we come with an expectancy to meet with the Lord? Remember what Jesus said to the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 2. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them. Is he feeling distant? The problem is not his willingness. It's our distraction. It's our business sometimes doing church that we forget he's, we've left him outside the building and he's knocking. He's saying, I, I'm really keen to come in. Does anybody want to welcome me in? Anybody want to have a meal with me? 
you know, in the, in the, in the staff offices, uh, we, we're pretty studious, we're pretty busy in our offices, but sometimes you hear a bit of laughter in the kitchen because there's a couple of people and they start chatting and there's laughter. And of course, when you hear some laughter, you think, oh, I'm, I'm going to go in. So you go in and, and, and you have great chat and then, and then more people come. Dan will soon be there again. It'll be so exciting. You know, and, and pretty soon the kitchen is full. We're just chatting, enjoying, and then, we, oh, well, we better get back to our work now. So we'll do that. If you heard the voice of Jesus in the other room, would you want to go in? Would you want to go in? The light is on. There's bread on the table. What holds us from drawing near to him? Invite the singers, musicians up. And as they do so, let's bow our heads. I want to give you some silence. You can personally draw near to God right now. Ask him to give him thanks for what you've heard from him. Ask his forgiveness if you've been distracted. Invite him to draw near to you, to have fellowship with him today.